Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 107. Welcome back. Dummies. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how was your week, Jen? Um, good so far. Just uh, chugging along, working, stuff. Um, I just got back from my first um, physical therapy appointment post-car accident. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, why are you doing physical therapy? I should yeah. know this. Yeah. You know, I should just physical therapy pies myself but all, all the uh, time yeah <laughs> I really need better posture yeah I knew he was gonna say that and he, he did he was like oh your posture sucks but <laughs> but um the upside to physical therapy is my doctor is not ugly <laughs> were you like can you sh- from what I can tell can you demonstrate like how like, I should it, like stand? this <laughs> Like that? No, oh, but from what I can tell from the eyes up. Right. <laughs> might have looking. a real, real little jacked up grill. Pretty good looking <laughs> for a duck. Aren't they all attractive though? I mean, it's that air. Is there of a cutoff money. point? Is there like, you know, it's like once they hit a certain age, then like, then they turn into old doctors. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Then they turn into like your grandpa. But yeah. then every doctor before grandpa is just, yeah. It's hot. Well, yeah. we should ask Dr. Or they're pretty or they're gorgeous. Her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Dude Fuck is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. What's her yeah. problem? <laughs> Why are you like that, Erin? <laughs> Why are you so pretty? Why? Why do you think you're better than us? Why are you so pretty, Erin? <laughs> uh, um, when I went to the physical therapist, did I tell you this? I walked in and he was like, uh, just walk across the room for me. And I was like, okay. And I walk across the room. He was like, is that how you really walk? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> oh, no. And then he was like, I think you need to come back another time this week. And I was like, okay. And then I went back. I went twice. And then and I paid my I paid a $50 copay each time, which I was like, this is out of control. And then – I ended up, they sent me like a $700 bill. No, I'm freaked out, dude. This is absolutely. That is exactly what I just paid. Yeah, I just paid a $50 copay. Am I going to get hit now with $700? Well, what happened happened was. What happened? So they sent it off to um, my insurance, but they billed me wrong. Oh, okay. And so my insurance paid like $2,000 on it, which is a crazy amount for two visits where the guy was just like, walk across walk the room. Walk Yeah. Lift your arm up like this and do this. And I mean, like he didn't do anything special. He showed me how to do some dumb exercises. And then they were like, well, we pay this much. And then they sent me a bill for the remainder, but they just billed it wrong. And I have now been fighting it for... That was in October, so Holy I'm still shit. fighting it, and they <gasps> sent it to collections, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, oh, my oh, God. going to ruin my credit. Um, but I'm still fighting the good fight. I keep being like, I'm going to just pay it, 
and then Ben will be like, call him again. And so I call him again and fight it again. And oh man, they've what like a brought nightmare. it back. I know they've brought it back from collections now, but it's still they're still trying to figure out like what happened. But nobody seems very. It's it's it is Ugh. the place I went to. That's what happened. It is the place I went to. Man. So anyway, so I'm glad you got a hot doctor because <laughs> <laughs> mine wasn't even hot. Annie fucked me. <laughs> And gave me a complex. I didn't even oh, go I back. So by an ugly doctor. <laughs> no, and now I don't even know what's wrong with my walk. Because <laughs> he just made me walk and was like, oh, no, we got work to do. And then we never did the work. Oh, no. Right? How and are so- you feeling? Fucked up, man. My dude. <laughs> my, uh, yeah, my, it's my neck and my back. And I went to a chiropractor. I think I told you this one where, and he was like, yeah, I like to think of myself as more of like a healer. <laughs> I was uh-huh. like, uh-oh, <laughs> I wanted a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, doctors heal. Did that yeah. Did that guy help? Nope. Was he hot? Nope. <laughs> but he was barefoot, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, um, yeah, like, sometimes I have pain, like, right in the middle of my back. And he was like, that makes sense, because that's where the heart is. And I was oh. like, no. <laughs> Dude, oh, be careful with some of those chiropractors. Yeah. Some of them went to the school of clouds and rainbows, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to all the chiropractors out there. No, no, there's some really great and hot chiropractors out there. <laughs> yeah, you guys are hot too. We're not uh... Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Should we get into some quickies? <laughs> Let's do it before we get canceled. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're first. All right. Um, I know I keep doing wedding quickies lately, but there's just so many new developments and weddings lately. Um, but my quickie this week is a wedding quickie, and it came from uh, an article for the Daily Mail written by Jonathan Chadwick. All right. Um, but did you know, Sally, that just if first I look, you and Ben are very much in love. Uh-huh. You'll be married forever. I mean, Forever. knock on wood, don't say that. Forever. <laughs> Stop saying it. <laughs> but if you found yourself wanting, or say, let's just say renewing your vows to Ben. You want to renew your vows to Ben sure. um, in the year 2024, which uh-huh. is just around the corner, actually, yeah. um, which makes me feel like I should be you know, driving a flying car. Right. Um, But (laughs) did you know that if you have just $125,000 per person, (laughs) you can have your wedding inside a capsule carried by a stadium-sized balloon 100,000 feet in the air above Earth Uh in space. Space. You can get married in space. What? No, thank you. you. (laughs) Me? That's what I'm saying. That sounds horrifying. Listen. Okay, so these they're these giant capsules, and they're called space balloons, actually. And they will take up to eight guests into the stratosphere, a hundred thousand feet above the planet's surface, for a trip that lasts six hours long. 
Okay, hold on. So you're paying $125,000 per person. Each. Yeah. For six hours. Uh huh. Just to go like, you're not even like going to the moon or anything? No, you're just flying above, in, above Earth. And it, it, it just comes with a bathroom, a bar, and onboard Wi-Fi. Oh, well, I mean, at least your board, your, your guests can like check their email. Yeah. <laughs> there. It's like, Jesus. Oh. Apparently, you can also um, – so not only – you can not only have your weddings there, but people are always also booking this place for their birthdays. So in June, who were um, who were these people? Rich, really rich people. <laughs> oh, um, I hate these people. So in June, the company's test vehicle um, called Neptune One successfully launched from the Space Coast spaceport um, that's adjacent to NASA's Kennedy Space Center, which uh-huh. is actually really awesome. So basically, they're going to launch from the Kennedy Space Center. And then it takes about two hours to get to 30 kilometers altitude. And then they say that once you're up there, you'll be able to see 450 miles in every direction. So you can see the Florida Peninsula, the Bahamas, and over the Gulf of Mexico. And then it says at peak altitude, you'll see the total blackness of space. And at the same time, the curvature of Earth. I so mean, I and guess then that's cool. But 450 miles is like... I don't yeah. know. It's not that – like, I feel like you get that from an airplane. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's kind of like an airplane because it says throughout the flight, travelers will be given breakfast, can order drinks, and sit back in their plush reclining seats. These better be fucking plush <laughs> right? seats while soaking up the exclusive views. And then when it's time to return to the ground, the balloon will start to deflate – and the capsule will eventually splash down into a large body of water. These no. are all my biggest nightmares. No, this is this is horrifying. It's it's no. <laughs> no. And I'm gonna pay for this? No, thank you. No, I know. This, um, this is like just asking to go wrong. Yeah, I mean, this is not for me. Not only is it not my bag, but also I do not have money for it. <laughs> not even close to enough money for this. But apparently um, rich people have already started buying up entire capsules for groups and events. And weddings are already booked up and um, they because they started selling these flights um, at the end of June. And they're, so they're already booking up for 2024 and 2025. So, hey, I don't know how many millionaire listeners we have out there. Probably none. But if you're <laughs> but friends ever, with all, a millionaire, if you're a millionaire listener, know. like give, give, us just, just give us some money. <laughs> Are you a Patreon? <laughs> I mean, we don't really have Patreon anymore, but we will start it for you. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to be a patron, just and all for your you. millionaire friends, exactly. I'll make a capsule or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just reminds me. I don't know why. I mean, this the story just reminds me of that whole like balloon boy episode. Yeah, I feel know. like I feel like this is this seems like just it's like it's not going to work. You this know what is, I mean? Sounds like a fire <laughs> festival if I ever. Yes, <laughs> that is exactly right. That was what I was trying to think of. <laughs> I was like, this is like Emperor's New Clothes. Like this is not a thing that's actually going to happen. I don't know. We might be eating our words when our friends start sending us wedding invitations to space. <laughs> Ace, 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 ace. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> oh, All man. right. What That's do you have? That's a good one. Um, thanks. Well, you keep doing wedding 
cookies and I keep I have found I'm on a roll of doing revenge cookies. I love it. Uh, so this one is from the New York Post by Noah Scheidlauer. Okay, so Kristen Bishop was planning a trip to Turkey in April with her boyfriend, Adam. Uh, That's not his real name, but that's what they call him in this article. So they've been together for eight months. They had met on the dating site Hinge in August of 2020. Mm -hmm. And she was excited. They were going to spend three days in Cappadocia and then go to the bazaars of Istanbul. And I have not been to Turkey, so I imagine that those are... Like amazing, amazing. experience. Yes. Yeah. So, but then just four days before they left for their trip, she gets a voicemail from a woman named Sophie Turner who was basically like, Hey, I just learned about you. I have also been dating Adam for nine months and I thought you'd like to know about me. Give me a call if you have any questions. And Hannah was like, uh, yeah, I do have some questions, turns out. And so, you know, at first she was like, who is this crazy woman calling me? But then Sophie FaceTimed her from Adam's apartment. And it turns out that Sophie had also been dating Adam since August. And both of, both Sophie and Hannah thought they were exclusive. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the two so – I have to tell you – that I read the headline. I don't know this story, so I want you to finish it. But there's something I want to tell you about this when you're done. Oh, okay. Yeah, Is yeah it yeah. not true? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, okay. It's, it's so like it's like even more awesome details about this story. Oh, uh, so but so you go ahead. Okay, okay. So the two began to like hatch a plan together. Uh-huh. Um, they met up the next day to talk about like what they were going to do and decide how they wanted to confront him. And they decided that instead of canceling this trip to Turkey, that Hannah was going to go ahead with the trip. So she actually didn't say anything to Adam the whole 12-hour flight. But what Adam didn't know or like couldn't expect was that Sophie, at the same time Hannah and Adam were on a flight, Sophie was on a flight to Turkey. She arrived at the airport just a few hours before Hannah and Adam. And as soon as Hannah and Adam arrived at the terminal, Hannah confronted Adam. She showed him pictures. Like when he was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. She showed him pictures of her and Sophie together and was like, guess what? All of your reservations that I made for you and me have now been changed to me and Sophie. And his reaction was like completely stunned. She was like he had never been speechless before until that moment. And if he thought that Hannah was bluffing, it was like all like Sophie just came around the corner and at that moment and then his jaw like dropped when he saw her. So oh my God. So Sophie and, Sophie and Hannah told Adam, they both were like, it's over. We don't ever want to hear from you again. And then they just walked away from him and had the ultimate girls trip in Turkey. So while they were in Turkey, they went to a hammam, they cruised Bosphorus and explored caves. And, like, no word on what Adam did during his trip, but they do know that he made it back because the two of them were on the same return flight as Adam. And they <gasps> oh, my sat, God, how uncomfortable. Yeah, they sat right behind him, and they were chatting the whole time. So Hannah says that oh she got – Oh, my God. I would just, like, stare at the back of his neck and just like it, like, redder and redder and <laughs> sweatier and sweatier. I'll just kick the back of his feet. <laughs> And be like, say something. Just say something. (laughs) 
Hannah says she got a lifelong friend from the whole ordeal and learned to recognize the signs of cheating. She said when he would go out for the night, he would mix and match. Typically it was, I have to work. Sometimes it would be, I'm going hunting with the boys. She said, always trust your gut, know your worth, and empower other women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? And there's all these awesome pictures of the two of them just like having a great time in Turkey together. And I'm just, I love that they were like, we're going to go on the trip together. Yes. I love that. Oh my gosh. The reason that um, I knew about this story, speaking of women empowering other women, is I had seen this headline and we have some friends um, who also have a podcast um, called Cheaties. It's uh, our friends, uh, Lace Larrabee and Catherine Blanford, where they talk about stories. Uh, they interview people who have either cheated on people or have been cheated on. Yeah. Um, I've actually Juicy. been a guest on it. It's really fun. So I had seen the headline and I was like, oh, I got to do this for a quickie. And then I was like, oh, they should totally talk about this on Cheaty. So I sent it to Lace and Catherine and they were like, oh my God, we actually just got off the phone with these girls. They're going to be guests on their podcast. No Wait. way. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So um, That's so cool. I know. So um, head on over. I don't know when they're going to interview them, but keep an eye on it and just listen to it because it's a fun podcast in general. Um, but listen to Cheaties and with Lace Larrabee and Catherine Blandford. And, and I have an episode on there too where I talk about a real jerk ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, man. Check that's it so out. cool. You can get the rest of the story. Yeah. You can hear their story. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a crazy story? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, this one's pretty wild. I can't believe I had never heard about this story before, but then again, I'm not really a sports person. Ooh, a sports you know story. Yeah, kind of. Well, <laughs> yeah, it is a sport. It's a sport. And anybody that is in a sport <laughs> is going to be real pissed. Is it golf? That I even questioned it. No, it's uh, bodybuilding. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, you know, which I don't really follow, but, you know, I grew up in around, uh, my uncle was a um, pretty famous bodybuilder. Really? John Pizzo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. John Pizzo? John your, Pizzo. Your uncle's John Pizzo? Johnny Pizzo. <laughs> my uncle. And then also, you know, my uh, husband, Zach, was a competitive power lifter, so I was around him. That's powerlifting. I know that's different from bodybuilding, but you know, it's weights. The it's heavy like things. in the in the in the world. Heavy right? things. You pick them up and you put them uh, back down. <laughs> it's, uh... See what happens. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Are they gonna uh, get it? Yep. No, they gonna pick it up. <laughs> And then they put it back. Oh. <laughs> so my information came from Wikipedia, Murderpedia, an article for CBSNews.com, an article for True Crime Daily, an article for EvolutionOfBodybuilding.net written by Kevin Gretsch, episode <laughs> of Snapped, and then also an episode of Wicked Attraction. Ooh. In Las Vegas, Nevada... Have you heard of it? I've heard. Um, I've been. Early, you know, uh, world traveler Sally. <laughs> you know I hit all the, all the hot spots. So um, early in the morning of December 15th of 2015 in Mountain Springs, Nevada. So it's right outside of 
Las Vegas. 911 received a phone call about a car that was on fire in Sandy Valley, which is kind of, um, so this wasn't really alarming to them that there was a car on fire. Apparently this was kind of like the de- in the desert part right outside of Las Vegas where people would abandon cars all the time. So they'd abandon sure. and set cars on fire to commit insurance fraud or get rid of dead bodies. <laughs> um, so they were they weren't surprised. But um, when Mountain Springs Fire Chief Dick Draper, great name Dick, great name, great Dick. name, um, <laughs> arrived on the scene, he noticed that the flames were super high, and so he knew it. He he said it seemed like there was a lot of magnesium in the car. So it took him, which means there was an accelerant. Okay. So it took him about an hour to extinguish the fire. And then once he did, he could see that the trunk of the car was smoking heavily. And when he went to see what was causing it, he shined a flashlight inside. And that's when he noticed that inside the trunk was a human body. Yeah. And so at this point, the body was so badly burned that um, they... It couldn't be ID'd. So they were referring to the body as Sandy Valley Doe because it was in Sandy Valley. Okay. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. But Sally... Yeah. Who was Sandy Valley Doe? A bodybuilder. Well, Steve Harvey. No. No. Okay. You'll find out. Okay. So even though the entire car was completely charred, uh, police were able to find enough of the license plate to be able to run the numbers and ID the owner of the car. And they were shocked to find out that the car was registered to a local celebrity and national fitness champion, Kelly Ryan. So Kelly and her husband, Craig Titus, were a Las Vegas power couple. So they were famous for bodybuilding and fitness. They just won like every competition. You know, he won Ironman competitions and every bodybuilding title you can imagine. And she would do fitness competitions Mm -hmm. where it's like posing and she was like completely ripped. And then she would do like flips and stuff. She owned lots of like (laughs) triangle bikinis. Oh, yeah. All that. All that. Just to give you some more information about Craig and Kelly, Craig Titus was born in 1965 in Wyandotte, Michigan, which is right outside of Detroit. And he had a really tough upbringing. Um, He was the oldest of three boys. And um, apparently his father and his grandfather were both tunnel diggers, which is like a really hard job. And so there was just an emphasis in his house about... um, being a man and being tough and manly. Yeah. And even though, but he was kind of on the small side. So he grew up playing football, which he loved, but he didn't really get very far because of his size. He was only five foot eight and that was considered to be too small to play football. Yeah. You know, growing up around these like manly men that, you know, he just, there were, he just felt like he needed to be bigger. Right. And so he started lifting weights to get bigger. Um, and then, um, and I think when he first started lifting weights, I want to say that he, like they said that he was around like 198 pounds. But then when he started taking steroids, which he became addicted to, he became like really massive, like in the like mid high 200s, like yeah. all muscle. So he's very open about the fact that he took steroids. You don't get to be this big without steroids. Like, yeah, he takes steroids. Right, right, right. No, like everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's unapologetic about that. And he was also known in, in the bodybuilding world to be um, a bad boy. 
they said. The bad boy of bodybuilding is what they called him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he had a lot of aggression and anger, probably uh, road road. Roid rage. Yeah, I was like, I think I road know. Road rage? <laughs> road rage. Roid rage. One time, he apparently he won second place in a competition, and on stage, he took the trophy and then ripped it to pieces and then stormed off the stage. Oh, um, what a bad boy. Such a bad boy. <laughs> um, but, and not only did he have anger issues, so in 1995 in Louisiana, he was arrested for possessing with the uh, intent to distribute ecstasy. So he sold drugs and stuff, and he was sentenced to 16 months house house arrest with an ankle bracelet, you know? Um, yeah. Ankle bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a puka shell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like best and then – or B-E-F-R-I, and then his best friend had the other half. Um, so in um, – but – and then in July of 1997, he was sentenced to 21 months in prison because he violated probation when he tested positive for steroid use. Uh-huh. So he was in jail. But in 1989, when he was released from jail, he started bodybuilding again. And then soon after that, he noticed another bodybuilder named Kelly Ryan. So Kelly Ryan, nicknamed Kelly Flyin' Ryan, uh, (laughs) was a famous fitness champion. So she was famous for not only having this like amazingly fit um, and built body, but she grew up doing gymnastics so she could do all these like crazy flips yeah. and tricks. So she was a gymnast first when she was growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then she she moved to and grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, where she studied and practiced gymnastics, which she was really good at. Um, she originally wanted to become a Laker girl and loved dance. But when she saw her first fitness competition, she was like, no, I want to do that. And she actually When she won. was like, oh, Laker girls only make $50 a show? <laughs> yeah, it's such bullshit. Yeah. So um, she won her um, very first fitness competition. Um, so she was – because she was a gymnast – um, she could do things that nobody else could do and just would fly across the stage. And that's why they called her Flying Ryan. Uh, people absolutely loved her. She was one of those people that like, if she was on, everybody came into the room to watch. So she was unbeatable in competitions. And then in 1995, um, Craig and Kelly met. He was, uh, you know, already in love with her because she was the star, yeah. you know, like he, and she was gorgeous too, but you know, he was, he knew he had to have her, but she was very hesitant because she knew she wasn't crazy about his reputation for being a bad boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wasn't, she wasn't into it, but he was super persistent and he was also very charismatic. And over time he kind of won her over. Yeah. They married on June 6, uh, 2000 in Las Vegas at the little white chapel, mm-hmm. um, a real Las Vegas wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what they said on Snapped? <laughs> no, I was just singing it in my brain. And, um, People said that after they were married is when um, Kelly started to change. You know, Craig was influencing her with his bad boy ways. Um, Apparently, like, she started getting, like, plastic surgeries and stuff that she really, like, wasn't into that before. And then they would party all the time. They would do lots of drugs and have wild parties. And some sources say they were sex parties, (gasps) swinger parties. Yeah. Yeah. And so... (laughs) 
but they were very much in love, you know, and, but so now here we are and the police have found Kelly's car burnt to a crisp in the middle of the desert. So now police are needing to go to the Titus Ryan home and break the news to Craig that his wife was most likely deceased. But when they got to his house and they knocked on the door, they were shocked when the person that answered the door was actually Kelly Ryan herself. What? Twist. She was fine. And then um, they asked her where she was the night before, and she told them that her and her husband Craig had went to hang, were hanging out with some friends, and that uh, they were celebrating because one of their friends had just graduated from college. And they said that they went to bed around two thirty p.m. And when they woke up, they realized that Kelly's car had been stolen. And she said that she is she believed that the person that stole her car was her former roommate and friend, Melissa James, who had taken the car. Okay. Um, And so Melissa James uh, was a professional dancer. She was trained in ballet, hip hop, and jazz, and she was an instructor. She grew up dancing. And when she was just 19 years old, um, she opened up her very own dance studio in Florida. But apparently after a bad business deal went down, she lost her dance studio. Mm. And so when she was at a fitness competition trying to meet people and network, she ended up meeting Craig Titus. Apparently they had an instant connection. There was some flirtation and he told her, you know, how much he really um, admired her work ethic and that she was a go-getter. And he, he, basically persuaded her to move to Las Vegas. He told her, you know, come out to Vegas and me and Kelly run that town and we know everybody and we can give you some connections. He said that they would hire her to be their personal assistant. So Melissa moved out there and lived with them, even though, and it's, so there's some stories that say that so I think it goes without saying there are every story says that Craig and Melissa did have a sexual relationship. Right. But it's questioned of whether or not Kelly knew about it. Yeah. And so I'm going to guess. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. So Melissa was excited to move to Las Vegas. She had high hopes of like working with this power couple and she thought that she could at least earn enough money to go back to Florida and open up her dance studio again. Yeah. So she moved to Vegas and moved in with them. But after only four months, she ended up moving back home. She told her mother that they never paid her anything. They just, Kelly and Craig were just on drugs the whole time. And they were always like super in like a state of paranoia uh-huh. from the drugs. She thought that they were both full of shit basically. And yeah. that, um, you know, she never made any money and um, they just treated her like an assistant. And so she felt like she was kind of duped in, into coming out there. So she moved home, but apparently Melissa had gotten into some trouble with the law by using the stolen credit card apparently. Okay. So she wasn't too... You know, she had her flaws too. Right, right, right. So I guess after getting into some trouble, Craig and Kelly had convinced her to come back to Vegas and start working with them again, which she did. So when the police told Kelly that her car was found burned in the desert and that there was a body inside, they were upset, like a little upset, but like right off the bat, they said like, oh, that, that they thought that it was Melissa. They said that... They told the police that Melissa had stolen some of their money and that they had recently kicked her out of the house. And then they told the police that she was a really bad meth addict and was stealing money from them to support her meth habit. 
And then they said, actually, the day before that, Craig Titus had bought Melissa a plane ticket for her to move back home to New Jersey to live with her mother. So that's where her mother lived. But when the police looked in um, Melissa's room, they saw a credit card like sitting out on the dresser. And they said that they thought that it looked very staged. Like they made it look like like it was one of their credit cards sitting on Melissa's dresser. Uh, Like they were trying to make it look like Melissa was stealing from them. But Right. Like so obviously out. Right. Yeah. But Craig and Kelly were sticking to their story. Of the, like, that's what happened. But then the police get a call from a couple named Megan Pierce and Jeremy Fulton, who was the couple that was at their house the night before. They ended up coming forward and they told the police that they were at Craig and Kelly's the night before the car went missing. And that when they were leaving their home, Craig handed them a gym bag and asked them to hold on to it for him for a couple of weeks. Uh So they took the gym bag for some reason. And then when they left the house, they looked inside and inside the bag, they saw a stun gun, like a taser. Uh, When they heard on the news that a body had been found in Kelly Ryan's car, they knew that that they had had to have had something to do with it. So they went to the police right away. And then after that, another set of their friends... Um, uh, Amanda Polk and Ryan Chastain also called the police. They told them that the night before the car was found, that Craig and Kelly showed up at their house in a panic. Craig told them that Melissa had died of a drug overdose and that they knew it would look bad. They didn't want the bad publicity. Like they were so famous that like they couldn't have this Uh happen to them. You know, it would just like tarnish their reputation or whatever. Right. Because that seems like a thing that like, innocent people do (laughs) I know and it can be like oh this is gonna look bad for us like instead of freak out and call the police right away yeah so another thing that doesn't make any sense is for some reason that night then the guys went out together and then Kelly and and Amanda went out together they like went out to dinner the women went out to dinner Uh alone at the dinner Kelly had told Amanda that They had to get rid of Melissa's body. And so she told them that they drove the car out to the desert and lit the car on fire. And then Amanda uh, told the police that, you know, that the story didn't make any sense to her. And she didn't understand why they would go through all of that to avoid bad publicity. Like, why not just call the police? All the things we're saying. Right. But again, when she saw on the news about the car, she immediately went to the police. And so the good thing, all these people were very smart. (laughs) but also when the police were looking into Craig they looked at his phone records and they saw that he had made multiple calls the day before the car was found to a person named Anthony Gross Anthony was apparently um, a fan of Craig's people called him a a hanger-on apparently he would like just hang around him and he would do anything that Craig told him to do just to be in his presence you know what I mean and so (laughs) why I don't know So when they questioned him, he said that Craig had called him around one o'clock in the morning and asked him to meet him at a gas station or to meet both of them at a gas station, him and Kelly. And so when he got there, Craig told, um, just handed him a, a portable gas tank and told him to fill it up with gas. And so then he told him to follow him to the desert. Then Craig got out of the car, doused the car in gasoline, and then him and Kelly got into Anthony's car and Anthony drove them back home and he told the police that he had no idea what was going on mm-hmm. but they were like yeah right and they arrested him and they charged him with being an accessory to murder and third degree 
arson. So their friends told them that they had gone to Walmart to buy the lighter fluid and stuff to light the car on fire. Uh-huh. On fire, and then sure enough, they found a video of Kelly inside Walmart buying seven bottles of lighter fluid and a barbecue kit. So. She mm-hmm. thought so it wouldn't look suspicious. <laughs> she was like, I'm having a really big barbecue. <laughs> a lot of people. One tiny barbecue. Um, and then the videotape from the parking lot showed her coming out of the Walmart and out to the car that Greg had driven up, which was Kelly's um, Jaguar. He got out of the car and he didn't open the trunk for her, but he opened the back door door uh, the door to the back seat uh-huh. where they unloaded everything into and that's how the police knew that Melissa's body had to have been in the trunk at that time because nobody does that you know what I mean you, you use the trunk you don't use like the seat for right. all that stuff you right. know so Craig and Kelly already knew that the police were coming for them you know that they would eventually be found out so they had decided to flee they went to Boston first to liquidate their assets um, apparently they had somebody out there helping them do that and they had planned to then fly to Greece because Greece is one of the countries that does not have an extradition agreement with the US Yeah, um, and also it's beautiful have you ever been? <laughs> I have not been but I hear there's bitching parties it's really nice <laughs> I hear there's good massages. (laughs) Great massages. Great naked massages. Great Um, teeny tiny towel massages. Great teeny towel massages. So anyway, um, so then um, after – when the police discovered that they were missing, a nationwide manhunt was launched and the FBI were involved and they were called in and they got a tip that they were out, that they were in an area right outside of Boston. And so they ended up, Kelly was in a beauty salon getting her nails done when SWAT, uh, SWAT team like rushed in and arrested her. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, I just am, I'm confused by like, we're going into hiding. <laughs> I gotta get but my I nails. I have to get my nails done. <laughs> we should have told her about what are, diva nails. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll never dashing diva nails. Dashing diva color street. <laughs> you'll never need to get another manicure in your life. You'll never get arrested at a nail salon again. <laughs> Once you have was... your stick-on nails. <laughs> <laughs> so then Craig was found and arrested just a few blocks away. Once they had Craig in custody, he changed his story and he told the police that when him and his friends came home from hanging out that night when they were celebrating the graduation party, they had found Melissa in the driver's seat of Kelly's Jaguar dead from an overdose. He said that because he was a celebrity, he needed to get rid of the body. So he said that he took These people the have body. a really broad definition of celebrity. A celebrity. I never heard of them. <laughs> Famous murderers. Um, but um, so he, he said that he took her body from the car and brought it into their living room. And then he said that he put duct tape around her face because he loved her and he didn't want to look at her face. That's what he said. Uh-huh. Isn't that so messed up? That's and so then. Up. They put her, then they put her in the trunk of the car and then they drove her out to the desert and set the car on fire. And the police were just like, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> since he told them that his friends, um, he told them that his friends, Megan and Jeremy, were going to corroborate his story. And they were the people that are uh, already came to them. You know what I mean? Um, and told, and, right. And so the police went back to them and they were like, no. 
we never saw a dead body in the car. Like there was no body in the car. We never saw that. And so then that that's, and then Megan though changes her story a little bit and tells them that the police that Craig and Kelly had told them that night that they showed up in a panic that he, she tells them that they had told her the whole story. They said that Melissa and Kelly had been fighting about money and then Kelly then tasered Melissa. And then when Craig came in and saw Melissa's body passed out from the taser, Craig then picked up the body and slammed her to the ground and then started beating her. This is when it gets real, real bad. So earmuffs if you don't want to listen to this. Um, and then he held her down while Kelly injected her with a, a full bottle of morphine. <gasps> And then Craig held Melissa in a chokehold until she suffocated. And Megan said that Craig even like demonstrated how he did it on her. Like when he was telling the story to them, he like demonstrated on Megan. Uh -huh. um, so now the police pretty convinced that Craig murdered her, you know? Right. But when the medical examiner's report comes back, even though all of those horrible things did happen to Melissa, like they could see that she was taser. They could see, see that there was morphine in her system. They could see that there was duct tape around her mouth there. They could see all these things. They could see that her body was burned. They said that the cause of death was undetermined. Like they said that there was no medical evidence that Melissa was actually murdered. What? Isn't that infuriating? I mean, why? How? Like, I guess they couldn't distinguish it from a drug because, overdose? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They couldn't like, they say, couldn't... like, pinpoint what was the exact same that thing that killed her that's so not so isn't that it's i know and then so they i didn't know that you could do this i don't know a lot about tasers i'm not really a taser expert but apparently um they sent off the taser gun to the manufacturer and the manufacturer can look at the taser and tell you exactly when it was last fired and so when they sent it off they were the, the manufacturer sure manufacturer <laughs> uh, was able to show that it was in fact fired that afternoon of December 13th between 2.10 and 2.12. And within those two minutes, it was fired six times. Yeah. Six times in two minutes. And then they were able to do a search of Craig and Kelly's home where they were able to find, um, it's called taser dot discharge is a thing, I guess, that springs off of tasers when you okay. fire it. And so they were able to place exactly when and where they tased Melissa. So they had that evidence. So then Craig decided to change his story again. And he said <laughs> that Melissa was tasing Kelly. Yeah. So he said that in order to save his wife, he had to put Melissa in a chokehold uh -huh. and then it accidentally killed her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. But Kelly never changes her story. She never changed her story from the, the story that they found Melissa already dead from an overdose in her car. Uh -huh. And so needless to say, they were both arrested and they both pled not guilty. And in May of 2008, right before the trial was about to start, they ended up both accepting plea deals. Yeah. And so, yeah. So Kelly pled guilty to first degree arson and battery with a deadly weapon resulting in substantial bodily harm. Sentenced to 26 years at uh, the Florence McClure Women's Correctional Center in North Las Vegas, Nevada. But she was actually uh -huh. released on parole in, on October 24th, 2017. So she's already out. Wow. Yeah. And then Anthony Gross, who was an accessory to the crime, right. 
uh, he pled guilty in February 2009, and he received just probation. And then Craig pled guilty to murder and received a sentence of 51 years and is eligible for parole after 21 years. But after he was sentenced, he, of course, changes the story again, <laughs> trying to say that um, I pled guilty to something I didn't do. I did it to save my wife. Like, I, you right. know what I mean? Like, I didn't do this, but I said I did because, like, like he's yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to paint this picture that he's a hero. Uh-huh. Like, he's this big hero. And apparently, there's all these stories also that um, while in prison that he's been trying to solicit people to kill jurors and off people and like all the stuff. Like he's just nuts. You know, he keeps saying that he did this to save his wife. Kelly ended up divorcing Craig while he was in prison. So they're divorced. He is in prison and Kelly is just living life. Why? Why did they do it? Um, I think probably – what happened was well, I, I'm pretty. So nobody ever will really know why. Right, right. But if, if I had to it. guess, I'm. People speculate that Melissa was over their shit and knew a lot about them. You know, being drug dealers, drug users. Then they had this image of being this like power couple, and they and Melissa was you know maybe she was going to expose them. Right. Um, who knows? Like that's – people speculate that or that Melissa had um, demanded money and because they hadn't paid her and they were fighting over money. Plus, you know, everybody says that they were constantly in a drug-fueled state of paranoia. So right. it could have been anything that set them off. Nobody really knows what happened. But that's so sad. I know. It is sad. Ugh. Don't do, don't do drugs and don't do don't steroids. Do Joan, it's not worth it. Not worth it, man. My mother-in-law texted me and she said that she listens to the podcast and uh, she said that she was like, I listened to episode 106, the last episode. She was like, and I cried at both stories. I know. (laughs) So I think at least people There was a lot of crying last. There was a lot of crying last episode. So this time Jem was like, I'm just going to tell an all-around awful story. Yeah. No crying. (laughs) Good story. Yeah. No crying. Thanks, man. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am ready for a love story. All right. So I got my information from a BBC.com article by Jessica Scher, a New York Times article by Aaron Long, a People article by Shar Adams, an Amomama article by Edwin Carvajal, and also a Good Morning America article. In 2000, 2005, Jessica Cher and her wife were ready to start a family. Uh, since the moment they met, they had dreamed of having children. They knew they wanted to have four kids, and they'd even picked out names. Uh, and oh. Jessica says that, like, all the lesbians she knew at that time with children had, like, given birth to them in previous heterosexual relationships, but they hadn't done that. And so they were, like, the first of their friends who needed to find a, sp- a sperm donor. And so the first thought was her wife's brother-in-law. But then Jessica who was a PhD student at the time. She was working on a dissertation. She took this lesbian and gay legal rights course offered by the College of Law at her university. And she quickly gave up on the idea of using a known donor because at the time, courts were known to give the donor custody rights, calling their gift 
of sperm and active parenting. So if like a birth mom died, the children would be removed from their homes and placed with men they barely knew instead of going to the other mother. So wait, say that one more time. So the like if a if it was someone you knew who gave their sperm, sometimes like there had been court cases where the the mother who gave birth died and instead of like staying with their other mother, the child oh. be removed from them home and placed with a sperm donor. Oh man. Yeah, isn't it's very sad. So I mean, anyway, but this was also 2005. I don't know where the law's at now. But so instead, they decided to go to a sperm bank because there the anonymous donors would had already signed paperwork that barred them from ever seeking custody. So at the time, um, the information you could get about the sperm donors was kind of limited. Like you got a profile on them, but there was no picture. There was no way of like looking them up on the internet. You didn't get a name. So Jessica and her wife decided that Jessica would carry the baby so they were like, let's find someone who matches – one. she wanted to find somebody who matches her wife's appearance and interest. They looked for someone who was like average height and weight, who studied literature, who had wavy brown hair and liked sports. And so all they had to go on were the answers to like a couple of little questions. So Jessica said they picked based on the fact that this guy – this this donor was a writer. He was well-educated. He was funny. And he kind of sounded like her wife. So they, ch- the donor they chose listed his profession as a writer, musician, and taxi cab driver. And Jessica said, my wife and I romantically imagined he was refusing to get a desk job, but instead collecting the stories he'd pick up in his cab, readying to write the great American novel. So they got the sperm, they chose their donor, and after seven months of trying, Jessica and her wife were overjoyed when they found out that she was pregnant with her first child. Oh, yay. Yeah, Jessica gave birth to baby Alice, who she says was perfect, and they were so in love with her that they decided to have another baby right away. And luckily, they were able to use the same donor, but this time Jessica's wife would carry the child. So 18 months after Alice was born, their second daughter, Soren, was born. The two girls looked and acted so much alike that the Jessica and her wife would off, often muse like what the donor would look like, basically based off of the girls' similarities. And then when the girls were just one and three years old, Jessica's wife came home one day and was like, our relationship is over. And Jessica said she felt blindsided. Her wife said she didn't want to talk about it, and there was nothing that she could do to repair their marriage. Oh, my God. Ray, isn't that crazy to be like, you have a one and three-year-old together, but, like, it's over. So for the Um, next seven years, even though the couple was split, uh, Jessica was the custodial parent for both Soren and Alice for five days a week. But then when Alice was 10 and Soren was eight, Jessica's ex-wife, like, just – blocked Alice on her phone, cut off all contact with her, and refused to return Soren after she took her for a vacation. Oh, my God. Isn't that sad? And legally, like, there was not much Jessica could do without, like, a long and expensive court battle that she didn't even know if she could win because her wife was the one who had had Soren, so she was legally her birth mother. Uh Uh-huh. So – but basically, she just cut off all – contact with her other daughter. And so Alice, of course, was heartbroken, as was Jessica. And then Alice was spending a lot of time with her grandmother, and her grandmother would tell her all about kind of her ancestors. And so Alice got really interested 
in researching her ancestry, but she, because she didn't know anything about her father's side, she could only learn so much. So when she was 11 years old, she asked her grandma for a DNA kit for Christmas. This was in 2016. Mm-hmm. And Alice was just really interested in knowing where ancestors came from. She was like, I want to know what countries I, you know, like my ancestor came from. Like when people say, oh, we're French or we're whatever. She's like, I want to know if I'm as white as I look. So Jessica knew that there was a possibility that the search would turn up relatives from the sperm donor, but she didn't actually think it would happen. You know, she was like, yeah, I guess maybe, but what are the mm-hmm. what are the odds? So when the results came back in February of 2017, you can guess what happened. The sperm donor, who Jessica thought would always be anonymous, came up on the site. Jessica looked at the DNA relative section, this was on 23andMe, and found the name Aaron Long, and it said 50% match, father. And then right behind it was a, a sibling, Bryce Gallo, 25% match, half-brother. And Jessica said, Alice, with the confidence of an 11-year-old child, was like, I don't know if I want to meet some adult men. <laughs> and, and it like just didn't have much interest for her yet. Like she kind of, yeah. right? She was like, I don't, I don't know that I care about these people. Um, I just really wanted to know if I'm like English. Even though Alice wasn't interested, Jessica wanted to know more. Because now this man she'd speculated about all these years had a name. So she started researching online. Turns out there are a lot of Aaron Longs. So she searched LinkedIn using what she knew about the date of the donation, which was 1994, his general age range at the time, and that he had a master's in literature. And she found just one man who matched the profile. So she Googled him and she found pictures that he had posted of his school portraits from like all the way through grade school on Facebook. And that was when she knew she had the right guy because she was like, his pictures look just like her daughter's. She was like, my daughters make that same dumb face. And this Aaron Long was 50 years old. He was living in Seattle. He was a writer and a musician who worked as a communication specialist. So before she lost her nerve, she fired off a message to Aaron Long through the DNA site. She told him, like, she thought he might be a match for her two daughters. She wondered if he was interested in learning more and answering questions. And she said she really had no idea, like, if he was going to be open, like, this was supposed to be anonymous forever, or if he'd even answer her. But his reply came back instantly. He told her that he'd actually been in touch with three other donor kids and that he was very open in learning about Alice and her sister and that he was happy to answer questions. Um, He actually sent her, after a couple back and forth, he sent her a 50-page autobiography that he had written. Oh, wow. He had written, like, for the other kids who had contacted him. You know, he was, after all, a writer. And Jessica was like – so he had, like, prepared this thing and some of the kids had written back just to be like, hey, here's me if you want to learn about me. And – And Jessica was shocked to know that Aaron had actually spent a couple years as part of a band in the town where she lived. So she was like, I wonder how many times Alice and I have like crossed paths with her biological father. So Jessica also wrote to Bryce, who was the other kid who was Alice's brother, biological brother. He was 20. He had just graduated from college. And he told Jessica about Maddie, who was another donor sibling, who was 19. And then there was Emily, who was actually the same age as Alice's younger sister, Soren. 
So a few months after making contact, Bryce and Maddie planned to visit Aaron in Seattle, and they asked Alice to come too. And she was kind of like reluctantly interested, you know, she was still grieving the loss of her sister and her other mother, and was probably like scared to, they don't say this, but get to get attached to anyone else. Yeah. But she agreed. And Jessica was like, I think it's important for you to make these contacts. You know, these are your half siblings. Like, so she agreed to take her out to Seattle. Um, They lived actually they lived about two hours away to take her up to Seattle to take part. So Aaron actually hosted a party to which he invited like friends from elementary school, high school, college. He actually invited, he had like good relationships with a lot of his ex-girlfriends and their new partners and children were all invited. And he thought of it as like a way for his kids to get to know his life and for his friends to meet and celebrate these donor children. And wow. yeah, and Jessica was like, I think thought it was like kind of a good sign that this man kept bonds with so many people from all eras of his life. And Aaron said he figured that meeting his children was the closest he'd ever get to a wedding. So he was like, so I decided to host a big party. You know, he wrote, Mm -hmm. um, be it genetics, good luck or force of circumstance. I loved my children right away. They have an uncanny aura of meanness. (laughs) Bryce is shy, but sharp and obsessed with memes in a way I might have been when I had I grown up in Gen Z. Alice has little use for adults, as I still don't. Maddie especially has my sense of humor and eyes. Sometimes I lock in gazes with her, makes my brain explode, but then we laugh. On the trip, they all visited this local sculpture garden. They played this game of nature or nurture, which like showed how much, how similar the three siblings were. And they all took this a road trip to an arts festival. And Alice bonded with her brother and sister, with her half-brother and sister, Maddie and Bryce. And Jessica, meanwhile, bonded with Aaron. She, oh. at the time, was actually in a two-year relationship with a man, coincidentally named, also named Aaron, that was ending. And although she and Aaron flirted during this trip to Seattle, Jessica said she didn't want to complicate things. She said, I was conscious that donor Aaron was an important person to my kids, but not someone who necessarily should be a part of my own life. I didn't want to spoil it for them. But Aaron said, during the vacation, she and I fell easily into the mom and dad role for Bryce, Maddie, and Alice. We soon had in-jokes and teased each other about our foibles, just like any family. And Jessica said that even though she didn't want there to be a spark, There was. She says at first she liked Aaron because he seemed so familiar. Like after all, he had the same smile as her daughter's and was so much like her daughter Alice in so many ways. And beyond that familiarity, the two just had a really good time together. It just seemed very natural. And they basically started dating as soon as she broke up with this other guy and like right after the trip. And Jessica said, like, you know, when usually when heterosexual people meet, they date, they get married, they look at each other with devotion at at one another and think it would be wonderful to have little people who look just like both of them. She said, I'd already spent a decade with those people. I spent my first date with Aaron relaying their lives to him. I already knew him and knew he was just like those people I love more than anyone else in the world. He was already family in some ways. His smirk and his coloring are those of my youngest daughter. His empathy and socialism, my eldest. 
She said, it's hard to tell if DNA played a role in our relationship. I know I'm attracted to Aaron for all the reasons that seemed wonderful when shopping for him in a sperm, sperm donor catalog years ago. He is thoughtful, persistent, and academically minded. He is enchanted by words. He is empathetic, versed in stories about people and the strange things they sometimes do. He doesn't much care what's expected of him. So a few months after dating, Jessica and Alice, who... I, like I said, we're living a, a few hours south of Seattle, decided to take the plunge and move to Seattle. Jessica said she realized that Aaron and Alice are basically the same person. She said they're both so easygoing. They're both quiet. They're both literary. It's their personalities. They would both quietly read books next to each other and watch Jeopardy forever. The family eventually bought a house together. And in 2019, Maddie, who was the older sister, moved to Seattle and moved in with them, too. They actually had everyone, Bryce, the younger sister who actually lives about an hour outside of Seattle, and then a couple of other, other donor kids. There are actually 10 that they found in all, all over for Christmas in 2019, and obviously didn't do it last year because of the pandemic, but they hope to do the same this year. And Aaron wrote, while 23andMe is not generally considered a dating site, Jess and I are grateful to the technology that has made our backward-formed relationship possible. We have a lot of questions about love and genetics and whether we would have felt this connection had we met in a more conventional way. In the end, the sci-fi trappings of our love story are irrelevant. Jess and I work as a couple because we like spending time together. I suppose it doesn't hurt that I happen to be the father of her child. That is just so wild that when she was like picking out her perfect father. Yeah. For her child, or like her perfect, I guess, child, really, because it's not the father. It's she was, per- yeah, picking out like what qualities she wanted in a person. She was like picking out her spouse. Are they married? Do they get married? They're not married, but they do. Okay. But only because she and her ex-wife, the one that left with the child, are um, still married. Were married in Canada, and so oh. she was like, it just is like there's so much legal stuff that would have to happen as far as like in like custody and she's like we just she's like I don't want to they just don't want to go down that path so she's like someday maybe if that all gets sorted out Jessica wrote I quickly discovered that as a mom I would gladly take any of our new half siblings right inside make them lunch do their laundry and take care of them forever they are siblings of my children the genetic aunts and uncles of my grandchildren I don't parent them but I feel inexplicably drawn towards feeding them Some are the spitting image of Alice. Others resemble my youngest daughter. They don't all look like Aaron, but they undeniably resemble one another. Aaron's aging mom has also moved in along with her cat, Bill. Down the hall, Alice and I got a kitten. By making a family in all these new ways through the years, I've learned more about what family means than anyone would want to. DNA has become far more important than we thought it would be when I first picked a donor from a page. Yet it hasn't replaced the truism that families are built on love, not genes. Being open to that love is ultimately what makes a family. Everyone can be welcomed and stay in the fold. There is room for many different kinds of relationships. Who knows how many more of Aaron's bio kids there are. He's estimated there could be as many as 67. Oh, my God. I know. She said the building may eventually cease to accommodate all of them, but I've got the sandwiches and the doors open. I love that. Isn't that cool? Yes. What a wild story. I mean, it's awesome. It's amazing. But just so, wow, it's just one of those, like, life is so crazy. Yes. Stories. Yes. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Man. All right. Let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. I will go first because it's my turn and that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> Rules are um, rules, Jen. Rules are rules. Um, so for something dumb, I'm just – um, it's something that I've, I actually, a lot of, all my friends know this, all my family knows this. It's something I haven't talked about on the podcast because um, it it just was. it's your business. It's my business. It's my <laughs> business. But I just feel like it's, you know, we've, we've passed all this now and we're at this place and it is what it is. But um, I am actually separated. So, um, so, so I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dating. I'm not doing it, but I keep making all these like jokey comments about people being hot <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably wondering why. Um, no, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm, that's the furthest thing from my mind. But so, um, you know, right. that's just where we're at. I, it was just hard for me to, um, bring it up just because it's personal it's and it affects um my husband and it affects my children but i it's out there everybody all my friends and family know but you know and it's not um you know it's sad but it's also just you know it's what is best for us and um we are still friends we are still very much co-parenting we are still very much a family but it looks different yeah and i think that this podcast um can attest to the fact that um families look different yeah (laughs) (laughs) just like the family we just talked about exactly but um it's yeah so that's just so just i just wanted to fill everybody in on what's going on just because I feel like it's been long enough now to where uh it's something that I can talk about yeah um with everyone and um we are moving forward yeah and that's life (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know like what else I'm not gonna like get into the specifics of everything I just feel like I need to like at least just address. Well, yeah. I mean, um, obviously, we talk a lot about we talk yes, about relationships all the time. Yeah, yeah and on the podcast, yes. so it probably feels like disingenuous to be like my husband this or That's, we this and yeah, and, and try to skirt around things. Which I mean, it's your right to do, but um, I'm glad you're ready to share it. And I've told you this in in face to face, but also I'm like just so. Um, in awe of like how you guys have been handling everything. And it's really, um, it's a testament to like, uh, your strength and how, and you're like, just at you, you just are handling everything so beautifully. And I'm, I am proud to know you. Well, thank you. I'm yeah. proud to know you. The second you call me strong, I'm going to start crying like a little bitch. <laughs> ah, gotcha. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but thank you. And um, yeah, you know, like I said, there's, uh, you know, we still very much love and respect each other and we're co-parenting and I think that we're doing a beautiful job. I do too. And um, that's that yeah so something i love um cookies <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> no, no i just love everybody's support i love all my friends um i love the support of our family on both sides mm-hmm. you know 
Um, I'm grateful for everybody. And um, well, of course. what do you got, Sally? <laughs> what, what's let's uh, well, John, I just want to say, of course, everybody is going to be supportive of you because you are one of the most supportive people. You've been supportive to so many friends and everybody, and you would do the same for all of the people who are now coming out for you. So it's not surprising that your I, people are rallying around. I'm a pretty great person. That's right. I'm really great. <laughs> I know you're saying that sarcastically and self-effacingly. I don't know if that's a word, but it is true. So, uh, Well, thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate you. Okay. But something dumb in your life. I nothing. Nothing. <laughs> i've been nothing dumb everything's wonderful um there are lots of dumb things but i also you know it's hard i don't when your friend's going through something that's that's dumb yeah that's dumb um well thanks for making me your dumb thing i really appreciate (laughs) hey john you're always my dumb thing (laughs) (laughs) you're always my dumb thing um and something I love is cookies. No. Uh, it's I love a TV, cookies. a TV show. I mean, you, I'm sure you've already watched it because everybody in the world watched this and loved it. And I'm the last person to it, but we have been watching Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. And it's so delightful. Have you watched it? Oh, yeah. I forgot. I have to watch the new season. Yeah, it's just coming I, it's out. Like, Highly did you watch it. Physical? No, I have not. That's on next okay, on the list. Okay, that's on there too. Because of course yeah. we got the thing, and then we we have it for more than and a, the morning show. A week and Did then you we- watch the morning show? No. <laughs> oh my god, you have so much watching to do. Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't. Of course, like we now we have it. We we didn't. We we didn't cancel it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as as with everything, we uh, right. we got the free week, and then we were like, "Oops!" Now you have it forever, <laughs> forever. Um, so yeah, I think that's the thing I love. I've just been really enjoying it. Nice. Yeah. And now you have a lot of stuff you can enjoy. I know. You have it forever. I know. All right, dude. Well, uh, I think this was a great episode, and and I love you. I love you. Uh, I love our listeners. I love them too. I think they should contact us more. Uh, yeah, right. They should. Eat. Well, we got a lot of. Uh, we heard a lot this week because last week's episode made a lot of people cry. Yeah, and for that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know Sorry. Ben. Ben came in. He went for a walk and he listened to the episode and he came in and he was like, "What are you doing to us? Sorry. <laughs> what am I doing to myself? Right? I don't want to cry anymore. I'm tired of crying." Oh, you'll never stop. Um, stop. Yeah. So anyway, contact us. Tell a friend. Tell a friend who likes to cry. And uh, and we love you guys. We love you so much. We dumb love you so much. And make sure to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum-dum-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-